Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who seems to be completely unaware of the concept of train timetables. I am the Adam Glass, and I live in Ohio, man. I have no reason to know what train timetables even are. <laughs> right, I guess that's true. I mean, I only I only get on a train when I travel to a large city, and then I'm just preoccupied with figuring out who the murderer is. We are joined today by our friends, the Hapes, Jonathan and Casey. Say hi, friends. Hi, friends. Hi, friends. They often join us when we do a Wes Anderson film because uh, they like Wes Anderson much more than you do. And I feel Whoa, I never want to be alone accusatory. in defending Wes Anderson. Wow, so you, you leave me alone Whoa. on the other side. <laughs> uh, see, Casey was saying, I really don't know when adam actually likes something like oh. we know we know when pat doesn't like something but adam adam takes the more like uh objective approach even if he loves something we'll point out flaws you know just very objective so when it comes to wes anderson i think we just assume whoever you have on the show are pitted against you both oh um but i do know something adam shared with me before is that each wes anderson movie he likes more than the previous chronologically uh, usually chronologically yeah. and so i have to assume that this one might be where that turn really starts happening by the yeah. way this movie is made yeah. um even though it's pre fantastic mr fox and his total dollhouse style that might be why but um i'm curious i'm very curious about pat's thoughts because <laughs> this is one that i can't imagine i can only imagine people that are a fan of those Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche, niche like niche-esque, um, uh, <laughs> like parts of Wes Anderson movies. They don't like this one as much because it doesn't hold all those. So I'm hoping somebody who doesn't like the dollhouse that house aesthetic might be more into this. But well, so uh, I'm curious myself. Well, we should we should we should introduce we'll, the film. We'll spend the next hour getting into this. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I do absolutely. have thoughts, <laughs> of course. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon real quick. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for a dollar a month. You can help keep us going and get us access to some bonus content. As of this recording, our most recent bonus episode, Jonathan was on as well. We watched Joe versus the volcano. I only do episodes about luggage. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Sometimes the Um, luggage is ruining a family. Sometimes the luggage is helping them. (laughs) Sometimes baggage is good. I guess that's the message of Joe versus the volcano. Right. Yeah. No, seriously. Uh, Especially when it helps you survive out (laughs) in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. I just assume that it it is self-aware baggage either way. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, the Joe versus the volcano. It has the capacity for Joe versus the volcano. No, Pat's correct. In Joe versus the volcano, it's it's verifiably yeah, self aware. Self aware. It is acting on its uh, in its own best interest. Clearly. I thought it. I thought of it more as uh, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy text adventure game. There's the thing the your aunt gave you that you can't get rid of, or that you don't know what it is. Is how it's described. But also, you can't get rid of it. If you throw it away, it just pops back up in your inventory five turns later. Nice. Uh, that's sort of how the how the luggage. It, works I mean, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, one can assume that in that Joe sounds fairly self aware as well, but. I'm telling yeah. you, read uh, The Color but, of Magic, the, ter- the first Terry Pratchett book. You'll understand luggage that's alive go. and will also defend you. If you want to hear... Life and death. 
If you want to hear us talk more about Joe Lewis, the volcano, head over to patreon.com slash lost in criterion and sign up. Like I said, just a dollar a month. There's a whole back catalog of bonus episodes too. It's always a non criterion film and our supporters vote on what movie we're going to watch. Uh, Joe versus volcano one out of a list of just Tom Hanks movies. I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, there's no, the it was, not it was Valentine's day. And I started thinking about, uh, started thinking about rom-coms and then started thinking about Tom Hanks. And we just decided weird Tom Hanks movies. What's the list for, for February? It's a good list. Yeah. Um, a little above that at the $5 mark, we'd like to thank folks on air who can uh, afford to help keep us going a little bit more. So thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Andrew Jarrett, and Chris Otto. Yes, thank you. A bit above that, we do something pretty dang special. Uh, Jonathan's looking through some of the old ones right now. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters once a month. So if you like bespoke art, Which you like you getting do, for mail. Sure. Oh, everybody does. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we also like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to our current $10 and above supporters. Uh, Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Nina Bojnak, Jason Westhaver, and Tracy McGrath. Thank you, all of you. If you want to see those postcards without signing up for that $10 mark or buy past postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, and you'll see uh, all that stuff pop up. It's most of the past postcards. There were a few that were too hot Just, for Redbubble. Yeah, yeah, right. That, Just too uh, hot for TV. We had to, you know, it's yeah. sold on late night cable. Some, It'll make you feel really gross I'm if you st- watch it. You know, stuff. I'm still kind of mad that Wim Wenders is one of the. One I of the know, right? That's like really that disappointing. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, our uh, our Paris, Texas. Postcard is not available on Red Bubble, and that one is so <laughs> far off the mark of like what, like, oh yeah, yeah, no, it like, was solely because I thing... put the title of the movie yes, in the description. Exactly, because like, there's That's no the way thing that any like claim. pixel yeah. detection software was going to get that movie out of that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's it's a digitally manipulated frame uh, to make it look like it's on a tube television. It is, ex- it know. is heavily manipulated. Yeah. I really like the art. Well, and I feel like the the art that you do, Pat, is very linked to not in a, a, exactly what you're saying, but in how you reference it uh, to your intros to the episodes and what how you introduce Adam is usually some vaguely connected to the movie thing That's or idea. something very hyper specific to the movie, yeah. I should say. And then so is your art many times. I, so. I try. <laughs> I try. Like, you know, it's it's because I got a new toy. The last like six months have been all pretty much me playing with my new toy and now i'm gonna go try going back a little bit to doing stuff that's a little bit more connected to the film and a little less connected to me wanting to play with my new toys <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you so much to everyone who has purchased anything from that red bubble everybody who supports us on patreon and thank you for listening this week we're talking about the darjeeling limited or as the waitress at a breakfast shop in portland once told me the darjeeling when I tried to order Darjeeling tea, and she looked at me like that was a word that did not exist. I mean, is she and after right? after a little back and I forth. Don't know. Maybe she is. The Z's? The Z sound out of that J, hey, I man, really don't, I don't think that's right. I got news for you. Any layer, letter can say any sound at once. Okay? That's fair. There are no I, rules. I, 
I constantly think about that anytime yeah. I see the word yeah. is your experience with that, except my memory of your experience is different, where she said it's not pronounced Darjeeling. It's pronounced Darjeeling and said yeah. the same thing twice <laughs> instead. Always, of I was really hoping have... she would either choose to make the J a Y, which would be awesome. No. Darjeeling. Yeah, Darjeeling I mean, is amazing. That would make sense to me. No, Darjeeling, uh, it was it was more, uh, I'm putting more of a Z in, in it than what she said. It was Darjeeling. Uh, but uh, this but, is where we but find the fact out that, that she uh, looked at me like Adam hates people. She had no idea what I was talking about until I pointed at the menu, and she corrected me by saying nearly identically, nearly the, same identically thing. the same thing. <laughs> uh, just very silly. Uh, but yes, the Darjeeling Limited from 2007, directed by Wes Anderson, uh, written by Wes Anderson, <laughs> um, co-written. Yes, uh, Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman also uh, credited as co-writers on this, and yeah. Uh, starring Wes Anderson regulars, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, Adrian Brody, Angelica Houston in there too. And I believe I believe it's the first with Adrian Brody. Yes, so this yes. would be the first time he joins the that troupe kind yeah, of. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I believe you're right. And I think his best performance, certainly the the least um, uh, uh, manufactured. You know, uh, uh, Wes Anderson tends to like be like, all right, and you are this kind of role, mm-hmm. and you are this kind of role. Whereas, and I think this way about the whole movie, in fact, uh, Adrian Brody is a little more free to be his, you know, as I yeah. said last night, his Oscar award winning self. You know, yeah. he, he and is. he's genuine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, this is a movie where Wes Anderson is trying to be more realistic, uh, even as, you know, the the train is still a very Wes Anderson model aesthetic. Um, by nature, by nature, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it is based on the hearts of all these stories are experiences they had together uh, while writing and traveling in India, or just stories they told. Uh, the hotel uh, Chevalier, Chevalier, uh, Chevalier. There is another bow in the urn. Yeah, I just always the, think of it because he yeah. he only references other pre-existing things that sound similar yes. and so like Maurice Chevalier or uh, yes. Yes. Voltaire number six because yeah. Voltaire it's yes. just very silly so the the companion piece for that the Hotel Chevalier is uh, based on Jason Schwartzman's uh, was was living in Paris when they first started talking about doing the during the film together um, yeah the uh, the companion essay to this with the Criterion release is written by Richard Brody uh and actually has frequent uh, frequent reference to Schwartzman talking about the the creation of this movie. Um, so this is one of the f- this is the first of his films where we do not own the Criterion Collection. Yeah. So it's one of the movies that we don't have a lot of insight into with those extra pieces and and things like that. Like just from owning it physically, because you know we're kind of old school. So when we grew up watching or buying something with a collection. You you open the thing and you look at the thing, you know, the physical mm-hmm. part of it, or you go into the commentary. So I haven't done a lot of research into this movie other than what we've watched of like the making of or yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. So I'm interested in any of the Criterion pieces. I'm actually really stoked that you guys watched the. I assume both of you. We did it. You didn't watch the, the short film. I I've seen Hotel Chevalier before. Pat, did you watch it? No, no. I mean, I didn't have access to any of that kind of stuff. So. Unfortunately, I, sure I watched I watched the, yeah. the free the version that was on Disney Plus in the Japan region. 
Yeah, is what I watched. So <laughs> it might have been in there actually. Uh, no, they didn't um, have any. Extra it was not on Amazon. Around, so so no, um, we had to. Yeah. I did not rewatch Hotel Chevalier for this. I mean, it to is be on fair, this is DVD, my second viewing of this film. The first time was on the airplane flying to Japan. Uh, so, <laughs> when, How long ago? When you first went to Japan? I believe so, or like the first airplane I got on after I was here. Like the first time I flew around somewhere. So, And I assume it did not have the short film with it either. No, right? no, no. It was on uh, a big projection oh. screen on the middle wall of a 747 because that was a long time ago. Yeah. What? I believe so. <laughs> uh, I, that's my memory. It was a different time, man. Yeah. yeah, that was before we had seatback TVs and in, in, in intercontinental flights. Right. So, so, Pat, for a little context then, and, and for anyone who, who managed not to see it, uh, Hotel Chevalier is a, uh, a short. Um, it played prior to the film in the original theatrical release, and it is Jason Schwartzman and Natalie Portman's characters uh, in the hotel in Paris, which he makes reference to, and we see Natalie Portman in a short cameo uh that on the feels very the disconnected if you right. have not watched right right okay <laughs> yeah uh so so pat the reason natalie portman is in this movie for 12 right. seconds I mean, yeah. now let's be clear here i understand that there's a reason but i also have seen enough yeah. wes anderson films to not give a shit right think weird things being shown on screen that are are, are essentially non sequiturs is a like standard of wes anderson films so it's not like well, she is at least in the hotel robe, right? That he right, is right. also wearing for yes. the entire film. So I mean, you can make a connection, right? The obsession with this woman, um, but it is disappointing, and we lose so much <laughs> of Jack's character if we don't see the short film. But that's just yeah. I feel that it is part of it. I saw it in the theater when it came out with the short film in the front of it. So I I can't see it any other way. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I this mean, is unfortunately like the, re- the thing about doing those kinds of things, right? And uh, you know, I'm sure he's aware of this, but like, that's not going to be the case going forward, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, people aren't going to get to watch it with the short film in most situations after that, right? Because sure, even even by 2007, we're already dealing with a world where like, you're not like necessarily going to be just sitting down with a DVD. You know what I mean? And like, uh, I would say 2007 is kind of prime that that era and was just about to go away. Yes, right. well, I would I mean, say Netflix within, you know, Netflix uh, you definitely know. had released its like online version of itself. You know what I mean? It wasn't, but it the was only barely there. Yeah. It was still just sending out DVDs. Order, yeah. In yeah. fact, I I associate this movie very much with that like Focus Films uh, era. Uh, you know, 2004 to I would say. 2010 um, is a huge era of DVD movies, and you can tell when oh, yeah. people, you know, bought a lot during that era. But this one, I, I hold there because this was actually the first Wes Anderson movie I think I watched. Just going into it, being like, I don't know what this is. First one I saw was Rushmore because Tobias showed it to me. I saw part of Royal Tenenbaums at Adam's house once, but this was the first one I was on tour. And they were like, oh, yeah, let's watch this movie. And I got to just sit there and watch the short film and watch the whole thing at once. And so that this was probably my biggest impression of Wes Anderson movies um, for a long time. And until I met Casey, I hadn't seen any of the other ones. And obviously she was already a huge fan. So, But I think the short film adds to that realism thing because this movie is very full of um, 
uh, Chekhov's gun. This movie <laughs> is very full of things that show up, and in fact, I think that without it, it does feel a little. It does feel a little looser, whereas you understand all of Jack's motivations stronger than the other characters if you watch the short film. Yeah, I will. I will. I I agree with you, Casey. That it is. <laughs> it is very, very, uh, very important. It it helps. It it tells the fuller story. Um, but I will, in Pat's defense, a little bit point out that during the original release, the limited release, it wasn't attached. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until they really? re- re- uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, um, and what I'm what I meant is that like even if we ignore stuff, you know, I know now with streaming and stuff like, but what I mean is that like whenever you accompany two things together like that. What's going to happen is over time, given the nature of like the movie industry, they're going to fall apart. They're going to be, yeah. you're going to more and more often it's going to be shown disconnected because that's just not a thing. That's you can't, there's no way to, to mandate that they be shown together. And so they just won't because it'll be cheaper or easier or faster to just show the main film. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would also make more sense if they just stitched it with it and treated it. Yeah. As I mean, part they totally the right, could have right. done a that, lot of films right? do. Yeah. Like right. it could have yeah. just been like a, right. a forward he, or an afterward or like something. The, like the baby Herman cartoon at the beginning of <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yes. You yeah, perfect. <laughs> Roger Rabbit. I think they you just lose. wanted to make a short film. Right. Like right. The short film stands on its own. You don't need the rest of the movie. It can just be that story of this couple right. in this hotel room. And, and yeah. So yeah, I think I, I really do think it just came down to Yeah, Jason Schwartzman had this idea because this is what he was doing at the time. Right. And yeah, and then it just turned into a whole movie on top of the short yeah. film that they wanted to make. Yeah. So the short film, uh, while they're working on that, Wes Anderson realized that that character bore a resemblance to Jack in the wider script that they were writing. So oh. they, they modified oh, it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the release of Hotel Chevalier is actually really interesting. Uh, it was coupled at the Venice Film Festival premiere. And then two weeks later, the short film had its individual premiere in four Apple stores around the U.S. <laughs> the day after which it went on to iTunes for free, uh, but was only there for a few weeks until the wide release of the film when it was attached. I was talking about this last night about how like the, pl- the publicity of right. this film was so much bigger than I had ever seen for a Wes Anderson picture, right? Like nobody was doing that for him or he wasn't open to doing that before this one but yeah the apple store release of the short film the mark jacobs and louis vuitton you know ads and you know just everything like it just it was just so much more epic like yeah in media than i had ever i mean seen this is for a wes anderson exactly yeah. yeah this is legitimately like the only one that i have because you know i it happened right before i got here is the only one that i've ever seen any marketing for period i mean I, okay oh. grand budapest hotel is maybe the only other I, that one because like that will show that showed up in like previews like when you were like going to watch a youtube video or something or there would suddenly be like a yeah. grand budapest hotel but like prior to that i had not really like ever seen any marketing material for any other wes anderson film ever prior to darjeeling limited like that was the one that was like you would see stuff for it before it came out before i came here like before i got on the plane basically 
you know what? And Casey said that about the publicity, and I, I had told her last night I never saw anything. But you know what? That can't be true because I I, th- I think I remember seeing the trailer I think because so. it's a lot of them. Uh, uh, I don't want to. Uh, don't make me part of this. The two guys fighting and yeah. like it seemed sillier than the movie is because I mean, this is a, a aside from those few little things. This is a not somber. I can't say that, but the there's a seriousness at the center of this film. It, that doesn't exist in really many other Wes Anderson movies at all. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. As it turns out, I didn't watch the whole movie on the airplane. I definitely fell asleep a few times. I thought <laughs> I had seen the whole movie, and I was like, "Wait, I don't remember this part." Uh, but um, yeah, the thing about it is, is like, if I had to rank, if you were to like hold a gun to my head and make me rank all rank all the Wes Anderson films I've seen, this is the one I mind the least. Yeah. And actually, I tend will. to veer towards liking. I don't love, but I veer towards the edge of like it's right on the borderline of like, oh, maybe I do like this, maybe I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, just a word of warning for you, Pat. Next, next time you're in the country, we we will be doing that. Holding a gun uh, to my head, making right, Wes Anderson. Films. <laughs> well, I can't do it until I've seen the, uh, the the two the other you know the the few newer ones. Uh, that's fair, that's I, and that's not going to happen until the Criterion Collection makes me so. Uh, <laughs> It's going to be a while. All right. It'll be, I guess it'll be 12 years at least. Uh, and presuming, presumingly, he will release another one at some point. Uh, so, not if my have, plans come to fruition, to Adam. <laughs> Pat has his own gun related yeah, plans. Yeah, we all have uh, plans that we, that we won't be talking about openly on air. No, it's, it's only oh, no. barely legally actionable. You guys laughed after I said it, so. <laughs> So it was a joke. It's clearly a joke. It was clearly funny to someone. So, so thinking of the last movie before this being Life Aquatic, right? Right. You know, we we have the typical obsessive characters doing these things that kind of have not a lot of consequence to uh, the the people in the real world, right? You know, and I, I've watched videos on some things that connect Wes Anderson movies that aren't just the typical things. And one of them is that obsession. You know, you have uh, the obsession with petty crime or the obsession with high school or the obsession with the underwater world or the obsession with safety or like each of these things. And this is the first one where the obsession is due to something that is a real life reaction to grief. Right. And um, all of these characters, and the reason why I said uh, something serious at the centerpiece is because we see these characters trying to do their version of a spiritual experience right and kind of doing it in these as casey pointed out like 10 year old kind of ways each of them makes like a funny sound when they like do a or trying to pray or like it's it's something that could easily be seen as irreverent but we are from a reverent mind looking at these kind of fools yeah well you know be this way in the in the aftermath of something that has broken them each of them very differently right so I have in my notes that I think this might be Wes Anderson as most self-aware. I uh, I, I would tend to agree. Uh, yeah. it, it, I haven't uh, seen, like I said, the newer films, but I I would tend to agree yeah. that he is doing things here that I don't feel like I've seen him do in other films. Um, That's for sure true. And yeah. and and it's I I agree that like they they are they feel like more real people. They're still goofy. They're still slightly cartoony. Like. Not just in like what they yeah. do, in, for example, in the spiritual, but like you know, they oh, their the reactions are over, like you know, what I mean, they're they're bigger and more I think, filmic than they would be than a real person would be. But 
I think there's a cultural context here too that this movie came out the year after Eat Pray Love was published. Right, right. Oh. Uh, and you know, Eat Pray Love was not exactly the forefront of of that Western obsession with with going to India and finding yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is what they're doing. And another reason I think it's it's uh, Anderson is most self aware is that their last name is White Man. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. and it's worth noting that like one of the hallmarks and things that like I don't feel like this is a, a thing that shows up in Wes Anderson films in, 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 quite as clearly is like their spiritual journey is is a is an attempt to sort of just randomly wander through a place appropriating various spiritual activities of another place and like hoping to yes. derive yeah. something from it like like well right. we'll show up we we don't have any fucking clue what's happening here and that's a very so like very aware of like the kinds of people who and, do this, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're, they're and, not getting anything out of this meaningful. I'm going to go pray at that other thing. And then he does, like, an incorrect Catholic pray, prayer right, right. and kisses his right. hand. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know anything about really anything right. and are finding themselves in a place like, where they are are each at a crossroads that they have to figure it out. One of them is a little ahead of the curve, which is why he's pulled them along on this journey. Yeah. But they're all at a point where they're, I don't want to say shallowness because we don't know that they're shallow. Obviously uh, they seem to have uh, depth to them of some nature, but uh, within this, you know, they've, they're obviously rich. They can just walk in wherever yeah. they want and pray however right. they want. Their relationship to, to the religions they are it's encountering yeah, is, yeah, very yeah. is very yeah. shallow. Like, yeah. and, and I would argue um, that anybody who would like look at some other places, religion and think like, well, we should go there. That'll, that'll fix us has a certain sort of shallow understanding of their, you know, of, right. Of, and without having actually done anything right before, right? They're just they're just there. showing up yes. and be like, we'll wander into, and there's they're surrounded by people for whom these things are very very meaningful, and it's sort of like, well, we right. can sort of <laughs> through osmosis derive meaning or something. It's very a very <laughs> odd thing to do. And Francis's relationship to it is highly commoditized and down you know down to an itinerary, right? Yeah, we're going mm-hmm. to go here and have this spiritual experience, and then we're going to go here and have this spiritual experience, and. Not for nothing. Their first stop, he announces, this is the most holy place holy, yeah. out of any. Yeah. And immediate jump cut to them shopping. Yeah, right. Yes, right. absolutely. <laughs> so, shopping for a power converter, and then one of them for a deadly snake. Yes, because he is. Who knows? Yeah, and then the other one for mace because one of them wants to yes. be left alone yes. and wants to leave. The other one it has a death wish, and the right. other one has just had one and is trying to fix it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. After Life Aquatic, Anderson wanted to do something more stripped down, uh, production wise, and <laughs> with Anderson's aesthetics, that that comes with a lot of caveats, right? Uh, because stripped down, <laughs> stripped still down means that production wise, still requires yeah. buying a train, yeah, yeah. and having uh, people paint it by hand. Right, right. There's right. like right. eight thousand yeah. elephants that are each individually painted and decorated <laughs> differently yeah. that you don't see. But, <laughs> but a thing that did happen is that all of the actors did their own makeup except for Owen Wilson because he had the the injury. I mean, that would have been a bit of a stretch uh, for him to try to do that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> They shot in real streets without blocking traffic. Yeah. They, uh, well, I'm they sure they blocked traffic. Everybody. They just didn't get permission to block traffic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, according to Anderson, they just didn't block traffic. I, I, I was a joke about the um, fact that a film crew, I don't think, could sit in a film in the right, middle of the right. street and not cause trouble. <laughs> That's Seems fair. impossible. The level, 
how how they simplify a lot of this stuff though i think a lot of it was kind of just like that because casey even talks about like the communities involved in it yeah sure i was talking about how especially you know like i think maybe with life aquatic and then for this movie and most of everything that he's made since he has the means to scout a perfect location he's not trying to make do with some cheap place here in the united states he actually goes to the country he wants to be in he and then he pulls in an entire community uh, of that place and they all work for him they all end up right, right, being right. part of this experience that yeah that he creates with you know when he's there especially like with french dispatch i think really met them like an entire town worked for him like making that film so i but yeah with this with darjeeling like it there's just so many people you right. know and he just really kind of captures yeah just so much of india and and it's and captured in that uh, 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 there's not a lot of that layered planned action that he is later known for and he yeah. uses somebody jumping on a trampoline it's kind of messy but i said oh yeah it's not all planned out in dollhouse and then there's this whip pan and casey's like that's because you don't have to look at this place <laughs> right, it's just right. people <laughs> acting on all these different planes right right they're not acting they're literally just doing their daily life yeah. Yeah. like i love it and probably the one that's different is they're playing uh cricket with a tennis ball and yeah. i love that moment i don't know how planned that is but it has to be completely planned but it it, it fits in there very snugly with yeah. everything else going on yeah i i don't have any stories about uh anderson hiring street urchins to play cricket with a tennis ball. right so, exactly right uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> presumably presumably those are paid actors and not something they stumbled right. upon right um, but paid actors from there. Right, right, right. From right there. Yeah. Everybody there seems like they weren't like, well, we got to fly them in from Hollywood and figure right, this right, out. Right. We're going to bring our Hollywood crew in and paint this train to look like India. <laughs> you know, like, let's make, let's have this group of people here and use our resources in this area yeah. to benefit the area and the film. Yeah. Uh, Schwartzman talks about how, uh, with not having closed sets, um, None of the lines were improvised, but the acting had to be because they were reacting live to what was happening around them. Uh, so he says, you know, we'd walk down the street saying the same lines, but in take five, a woman walks by holding food. So we have to move and make room for her while we're talking or in take seven, we're talking and a motorcycle goes through. So we're just mixed in with life. Uh, and yeah, it's just particularly as we get more and more into to what, you, you know, what you're saying, the, the dollhouse of yeah, Wes Anderson. The layered act. <clears throat> yeah. there's, there's an amount of control that this movie does not have. Does yes. not have. Right. Yeah. Just an amount of control he's always had. Every other Wes Anderson movie has that. Mm -hmm. It gets more elaborate as time goes on, but he's always had it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that is what makes... I mean, like, for me, and I, I can't... I cannot... Uh, I cannot pretend to speak for for the the the, the entirety of Wes Anderson when Wes Anderson not not really caring for Wes Anderson-ers. but uh, <laughs> that that's what makes this one for in my experience so far one of the ones that like bothers me the least is it just doesn't have the same curate level of curation on it. It it just feels like more like a regular movie if that makes sense to me. It makes sense sure. like and and yeah. I like that like. I feel like, to a certain extent, in my feelings, like Wes Anderson does a disservice to himself by trying to set his stories in these highly curated environments rather than... He's very clearly very talented, 
and I think is feels more effective right. to me when put sort of in a real feeling world. Right. Like the and characters are still kind of over the top and Wes Anderson-y, but they're like still having to interact to a world that like actually exists. I, I think if you were to watch um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom or a, uh, you would Moonrise see Kingdom. that. Yeah. Okay, so you've seen Moonrise Kingdom. Well, have you seen... Um, I've seen all Wes Anderson films on uh, an airplane. Never seen them anywhere else. <laughs> Have you seen? That's the problem. Yeah. Man. Have you seen Grand Budapest? No, I haven't. I I almost watched okay. it and then like something Adam told me and I can't remember what it was made me recoil and decide not to. <laughs> I don't remember. So what it so it, it, it is my favorite. That. I don't know what I would have said. <laughs> it man, is my favorite for about sure. A Wes Anderson film. It'll probably make me recoil. Okay, I'll watch it when it comes okay. up in the okay, Criterion that's Collection. <laughs> so, it was right. probably straight praise and yeah, yeah. He's like, like well, yeah, I don't think so. If someone likes a Wes Anderson movie that much, I'm not. <laughs> so so I think with I think with Grand Budapest, he hit he actually hits a point where the uh, curating becomes perfected and feels easier and less it feels more like it's necessary to the film than why are you playing down reality to be like in your like little playground this movie he doesn't try and contain it and and so i i would like to see more movies like this i think stretching this far even further into realism or you know just not perfectionism but i do think that he has hit a stride where his perfectionism is paying off and it's less awkward and uh, uh, you know, um, microcosmy and like the people that would like it, and it is something that he does very well. So I think it, I I've always understood why, you know, the problems that you've had with his films. I just like those things, right, right, exactly. And I think that he's he's reaching this potential. But I also like these things because the first movie I saw of his in earnest, not just somebody showing it to me or me seeing half of it and was like, I want to sit down and watch this, was Darjeeling. So, like, so early on, before I watched anything else for repeat times, I've seen this one a lot, so it's already in my brain as part of, he can do that. You know, right, I right, haven't right. led up to watching this movie, so. I, I don't uh, know what the first one of his films I saw was. This might have been it as well. Uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. But again, yeah. I watched it on an airplane, surrounded by people right. at, like, whatever they decided to show this movie probably like one o'clock in the morning right because back when they were showing films on the center wall the like slightly more mature films happened after the lights went out and it was technically after bedtime that's what i was gonna say i can't imagine them showing a movie that says you know oh they're all for for or has like uh an actual like sex scene they, <laughs> like they this has obviously like, we don't see anything and that's like, the thing right is it they they always showed what amounted to like the, the made-for-TV version of it. So they just probably cut that right. stuff out. Okay. I probably didn't that even see that yeah, scene. That is... I probably saw them start kissing, and it probably cut straight back to, like, him walking yeah. back in. Yeah, because it says... I mean, this movie is, as far as he goes that route, I would say, just as much as he goes further with death and the reality of death yeah. and not just using it as a plot point, but as, like, a real thing to invest in from all ang- or investigate from all angles. He does that with sex, too, in this movie, whereas, again, normally it's kind of just a fun thing. And Rushmore talks about this, in fact, you know, when she's like, no, this is a reality. Like, the teacher, like, talks about it and confronts Max about that. That's kind of what this movie feels like. It's that moment where it's like, oh, it's not just part of, like, the play anymore. It's like <laughs> there's actual romantic, you yeah. know, involvement, whether it be... Alice and um, I always forget uh, Adrian Brody's character's name in this. Peter. 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 So Alice and Peter's um, relationship, 
you know, or it being Jack's fantasy relationships, you know, like all that stuff. It's he invests in a, and investigates these subjects a little more thoroughly in this movie. Yeah. Um, and Hotel Chevalier is his most sexual, for sure, his most sexually explicit yeah. Yeah. piece. I think one reason you so often when when you and I talk about movies, Casey, we're, we're talking about a Wes Anderson movie because you're on these episodes. <laughs> and I think one reason you may be hard hard to tell whether or not I like it is that aesthetically, I really do like Wes Anderson films. I I think there's something very interesting in in the control he's offering. Uh, for the model work he often does, but also even here, just visually what's happening mm-hmm. um, and the way the way he sets a shot. Uh, that is balanced against my political relationship to a Wes Anderson right. movie yeah. in that it has that Wilt Stillman uh, conservative bend to, uh, to, you know, especially when he's dealing with upper class characters. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, you know, when West End, certainly when Stillman is dealing with upper class characters, but especially uh, for uh, for Anderson when he's dealing with upper class characters. Um, Brody in his essay referred to it. I think he might have been quoting someone, but referred to it as a conservative avant garde, which I found interesting. Which is a, a phrase uh, that makes no sense, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, what, yeah. What does that even mean? Right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, slightly experimental. That's all I can right, see. There. Right, yeah. but like <laughs> yeah. that would be the 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 exact opposite of conservative. So like it, it like right, it's right. there. It's yeah. oxymoron. And that's actually right? um, with French Dispatch. My biggest disappointment was the politics of French Dispatch. Um, Twelve years from now, we can get right. More into no, that. I'm very but, excited okay. to talk about that one. You and I have had a fairly detailed yeah. conversation about this but, movie that I've never seen uh, a while back yeah. when you watched um, it. Uh, Principally around the student revolutionaries and okay, and, yeah, yeah, and how uh, how they're dealt with uh, in the movie by the movie, um, but yeah, I uh, here I maybe I'm reading too much in, into them being called Whitman, white man. Mm-hmm. You Hindu, you might me because uh, like there's also a lot of very yeah. famous white dudes named Whitman, so like you know, <laughs> right, 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 right. No, that's and and the name itself is probably. A reference to Stillman, just combining his names. I I'm uh, not familiar with Stillman, so uh, anyway. so um, I mean, you probably wouldn't have seen any of it, but uh, uh, his <laughs> what's the one I really hated? Do you remember, oh, Pat? Man, I gotta I gotta look it the up. The first one we watched. Yeah, about I just Christmas need to break. look up his filmography to be able to like remember. Uh, which Metropolitan. Is is one? Last oh Days yes, of okay, yes. Yeah, we we hate that motherfucker so uh, much. I, oh man, I punch it in the face. We do, we do. Uh, Last Days of Disco, I, we did for the podcast, and I I think I described it as uh, uh, upper class apologetics. Oh, uh, gotcha, yeah. I mean, they both they both are <laughs> no, right. I mean, like Metropolitan's the yeah, same sort of thing. Sure. It's oh. yeah. It just doesn't sit for me. I know people. Sure. I know people who it have no class relationship to it. Certainly, who who really like those movies for a lot of valid reasons. No, I, think, I didn't. <laughs> so one of the reasons why I see, I mean, I I see Wes Anderson's movies, especially as they go on, as being a full live cartoon. You know, like he, you yeah. know, the way he sets it up and stages it and the costumes and just everything about it. You know, he just it just really like that. And so I see all of the most of his characters the same way. And and they and 
and so much separated from myself because of the classes you know like the majority of his characters are upper class not all yeah. of them but that's what that's where his experience lies right, right. and it's how he presents his characters because it's what he knows right and yeah and i see that as being yeah completely cartoonic because right. it is to me and it is yeah and it is in in all of his movies right he is he is poking fun at himself and the people he knows of course. I, but yeah. it's also really convenient when a character doesn't have to worry about money to do something right, right. so when you have when you have imagine a, yeah, yeah so yeah. that to me is an easy way to say i want this movie to go anywhere and everywhere and i want this character to be large and have every whim of theirs met well the only way to do that is to make that character have a lot of money or clout. Right. Right. And that's why Rushmore works really well because the main character is pretending and is, yeah. is, is not at all even kind of middle class. He right. is poor, but his best friend is a very wealthy man who can make anything happen, including building an aquarium, a multi-million dollar <laughs> aquarium. Right. So I think to make, unless you're saying something about class, which I think that Rushmore is, I think it's unnecessary to worry about the wealth of a character yeah because the whole point is convenience for the plot yeah it's like worrying about the apartment and friends so i don't think (laughs) if it's not trying to say something then it's not saying something and it just is okay you know (laughs) so i don't see any politics in these movies i see a, a movie an entertainment experience that that I find fulfilling in many ways. That is an (laughs) option when viewing films and certainly a valid way, like thing to do. The flip side of that is, is that like one runs the risk of like, well, we, if we don't ever sort of take into consideration and start to think about those things, then it sort of allows filmmakers to continue to, we get the sort of mirror effect where, where the, where does reality mirror, the film or does the film mirror reality and if if they're only ever presenting you with like these people who have these la- like sort of like unbridledly la- like lifestyles where they don't have to think about anything you're presenting to the world that that's a sort of aspirational live to- way to live right well, I'm, not, I'm not accusing uh, Wes Anderson of that in, like in this movie or otherwise I'm just saying that, like that was a problem with 90s TV and things like that was that like it presented to people a world that they couldn't possibly live in it didn't exist to them, yeah, and, and caused and caused like it can cause actual like uh, problems in in society in sort of a in a sort of mirror sort of way, right? Like if you present a, a society that doesn't have something in it, people assume society shouldn't have that thing in it, and so therefore, yes, like, but we'll if start you to evaluate society from that perspective, I agree with that as a whole. I also say that I like Coca-Cola and I like water. And if I only drank water, I would live a life where I was unhappy. And if I only drank Coca-Cola, I would die. And so I think that if you have, if you say all filmmakers must present this thing, that's like saying there should not be joy experienced. (laughs) Right. Right. No, 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 no. I'm saying that there's no reason to make Wes Anderson do those things or even ask for those things from Wes Anderson because he's chocolate. He's not a salad. You know, like it's 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 a dessert. It's something to do that. So I get it when you're saying these people also then it's a mixed message when you're trying to say something yeah. like this movie is trying to say something, but it's not trying to. And it is trying to say something about class. It right. really is because these guys in the end have to throw all right. of all of their 
they they get the rid of their baggage right. at the end. You know, like all of that stuff I mean, builds the, up. The metaphor is on on the nose too much, but yes, it's literally, so on the nose. And of, he does that three yeah. times in this movie. <laughs> right, right, he does an yeah. on the nose thing. Yeah, and I mean probably more often than that. But there are <laughs> statements literally yeah. made in a row. Right, that are like, okay, you're you're actually explaining your movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I don't mind it because the movie isn't dollhouse enough for that to feel manufactured. Right. I do think that Anderson's always been conscious of the the class element in in what he's doing particularly here particularly in rushmore where where we have an outsider trying to break into that class in royal tannenbaums we also have an outsider trying to break into the family right with owen wilson's mm-hmm. character yeah well. yes um, you're right but he's experiencing success in that right. movie at a time the rest are not. Right, so it's right. hard to see <laughs> yes, that right. as anything but a sad. Uh, like I, in, I would in s- Bottle Rocket, we have... Oh, go ahead. Please. Thank you. In Bottle Rocket, we have upper class people putting on the airs of lower class to do this petty crime. Right. But the people who end up the worst for it are the actual lower class people who get involved with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> like... Uh, the guy who gets shot during the <laughs> during the break in Kumar Palana's character. Oh yeah, but right. they're they're those guys are in on it too. Right, right. Like they're they're yeah, they're in on the they're on. But they're the uh, only ones that suffered. The yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. The, the boss never does. And <laughs> right. Yeah, okay, they're the ones okay, who, yeah, have the, yeah. who face the consequences. The, yeah, and the and the, the movie's conscious of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think Anderson is conscious of that class stuff, um, which. Is another point where the student activist in, in, yeah. felt yeah. felt off to me, and it, it is right. off, and yeah. because it's like anybody who's saying this sort of thing should be making a, a big point about right. it. And I like again, I like that he doesn't, yeah. and it kind of it's a puff of smoke. But he's also not talking about. Well, we're not talking about that movie, right? Right. Well, I'm let's, not going to go into that movie because I actually have a lot of things that I need to decide in my brain right. about years. that as well. We have twelve years. Twelve, 12 years. We'll talk about it. I don't in 12 know that. Years. Let's make a I don't know that's even been uh, added to the collection yet. So, uh, uh, but no, no, no. And and that wasn't um, also what I was saying wasn't to completely hyperbolize or take out of context what you are saying, Pat. I'm I'm making just a, a kind of a brick wall point on the other end to say like that I don't look at the politics because it's he's not somebody who writes for me to investigate right. my own politics or, or or experience or have a new outside look because of, of what he's doing, right. you know. Right. Right. And there are I, yeah. plenty of films and people that do that. Right. <laughs> and but you know, it is also worth worth noting that like using like for example like uh you know sort of class struggle or something like that as a lens by by which to review and think about movies is a is a valid perspective to use like as a standing point you know what i mean like you can just be a person who views movies in that way and that's also fine and in, in that case wes anderson films aren't like they, they don't not have class politics as adam said like they, it's a thing in these films i find this one a little bit more pleasing in that regard because i feel like what what it says about class politics is a little bit more, a little bit more effective for me than a lot of the other ones are. Or cor- correct, <laughs> even. yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. It it he, it's worth noting that these guys are like maybe, maybe getting better, but they're pretty much still also 
bad people at the end, right? Like the spiritual journey didn't like make. You, <laughs> I don't like, know. I don't know about that. My man, like they're, they're the, broken <laughs> people. All people are. No, right? that's what I'm saying is that like they, it doesn't have the sort of magical transformation things that like you can get a lot of times in this. Well, or, the magic. Uh, ooh, ooh, yeah. Wait, okay, so so there is, and Pat, where where do you in this movie experience the most empathy? for our characters and an insight into their uh point of view at what point in the movie do you do you get those things um like so the things uh, we're that talking are making about you empathy as in understanding versus sort of like sympathy Both. like because like Both. honestly Both. speaking i i dislike these people terribly i don't have any oh. ability to like comprehend their perspectives on on the world that they live in i can watch them for entertainment but I don't find I, I, if I try to think probably the closest is probably Peter to being a person that I can yeah. like imagine existing and like wanting to spend time with. We don't know Jack that well because again you don't have the show. Well, that's because you didn't watch Hotel. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. watch the thing that's not included on the website that I watched it on. Like, <laughs> no, again, I should have. The problem no, is separating your sure art into you, two it, different. It is also silly that it's not just part of it. Yeah, right, separating okay, your art into, we, into but two it is separate things is a problematic way to approach it because they will get right. separated eventually if you make a compilation right. album eventually somebody's only going to end up with the first fucking disc of it and they won't get to hear the rest of it you know what i mean <laughs> it's gonna happen right I, right you know yeah. so uh, anyway, but, but i my, can easily yeah go ahead but so my, my dislike for jack is more derived from the fact that i just don't we don't really get to know him very well in this movie i can kind of understand where he's coming from sometimes like every so often you'll get an insight to him and you'll be like okay this is this is a person, okay, and then I'll sort of lose my grip on him. He'll sort of start to fade away. Francis is in, is is kind of incomprehensible to me as a human being. If I'm being totally honest, I don't like, and that and that's not a critique of the film because like I know that those are the characters that are built right. Like they're that's on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm not digging at the film for that because like those are the characters of the film and think- they're what move the story along, right? I just I can't relate I think to they're Francis all, at all. I just don't. I think they're all realistic portrayals of of people dealing with grief. Too. I may, maybe Francis. Yeah. maybe Francis Francis is the older brother who emulates his mother over and over and over right. again, and we know that because we meet her for a few minutes and and see and that they have the same speech patterns. They have the exact right, same right. speech pattern and, and approach to you know. But yeah, I just yeah I'm. <laughs> So so I can honestly say that the first time I saw this, I probably felt the same way because I felt this, I felt those ways. I felt cold on Rushmore. I felt cold on Royal Tenenbaums. This movie, I feel cold on. I'm like, who does these things? Who acts this way? Who is this? Not even terrible, but ridiculous. And then look at these assholes from that moment, pretty much over. for the rest of the f- film, <laughs> I, you... I am immediately immersed in the emotions of these characters and the point of view. They they see something happen, they try to take care of it, and from that point on, obviously Peter is devastated. Right. He's already devastated as a human being. He's already devastated by his father and t- trying to take everything of his and keep it as his own without even saying a word. He loses... You know, and and again, he even says it the way that somebody like that would say it. I, I didn't say... I couldn't save mine. Yeah. He says that and has to go from that point of view. Obviously, he's injured. His brothers, we see caring about him. And then we see the entire thing unfold from the funeral, the very, you know, amazing 
uh, Hindi funeral that happens and uh, is very reverent. And then you actually see the funeral that, or the the thing that they experience, the short story right. from the beginning. And in those moments, it unlocks reverse the whole movie. It, yeah. That to me, you see where these characters are coming from and everything about them. And it humanizes the entire experience to a point where I, I can't understand I can understand, I guess, but I don't dislike these characters at that point. Yeah. When we get there, and I can't watch them again without seeing that kind of pain that's going on with them to make them act these sort of ways. And I think it's, to the credit of the movie, they, their change is not immediate, right? They go back to the airport, and they're still... That, that's what I mean. Is that's what I was trying to get at. Francis is, is still trying that, like, to be regi- like, that That was the point right. I was trying to make, is that they're not like... It's not a like a sudden... like flip of a switch where like now they're suddenly yeah. like oh seeing you know being involved in that tragedy and like going through that you know funeral somehow like it didn't fix them which i which i think is important i think that like that's what i was kind of getting at is that like yeah. they are it makes them feel more human than i'm than i would expect in a film like you know especially like in a wes this. anderson movie. yeah well, and, in, and so in that, any it's, movie really yeah <laughs> right. yeah yeah that's true in any yeah. movie you're yeah. right and, and yeah. yeah and and uh, you know and so like i was that 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 i found that part very interesting for me i still i mean like i i understand from a like a, a sort of an intellectual perspective and even sort of a i can sort of empathize with you know by you know you do see their funeral and what and what they're going through there and I get all that and then sort of like backfilling that in. But that like and I understand that those could be reactions to grief. It doesn't make them less worse people than to, to the people around them. That's what I mean. It's like I I can't you, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm not Well of course not. And so like well that's <laughs> right, my point. Yeah. It's like yeah. you, you, you know, I my the the thing I was trying to, to get at was is like that's part of the story and I don't I'm not faulting the movie for that or anything like that because I do think there it's very effective there. Uh, it, it's good at showing us how 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 they're treating other people as a result of the reactions to this. Uh, I'm just not going to like them, except for I probably Peter's about the only one I actually like. Uh, by the time the film is yeah, over, Peter's Peter's an incredible character. And, right. I mean, I don't know. So and is, also so maybe Francis, for me, Francis, Francis is just is a little lovely. too Owen Wilsony. I can't help it. Like I. <laughs> Owen Wilson kind of just annoys I, me. I can't help it. Sometimes oh, I like him, oh, not all so the bad. time. Yeah. <laughs> I like him sometimes, I, but I, and sometimes Owen Wilson just annoys me, and I can't help it. Uh, well, that's why I haven't seen probably about ninety yeah, percent of his films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jason Schwartzman's character, much like in Rushmore, reminds me too much of myself, and that's why I hate him. So for real. Uh, that is how I used to describe. I mean, I I just don't. I mean, I, just don't I get, have a grip I get on that, that, but yeah. I, get that. I don't have yeah. a grip on as his a youngest at all. Like yeah. he's, uh... So when I was on tour with John, we used to compare ourselves to the characters, like almost by age. John was definitely uh, Owen Owen Wilson. Oh my yeah. gosh, he'd be yeah. like, oh, so what? What are you gonna get? You're, like, he would order for us and do the yeah. whole thing and set the itinerary. And then Seth and me weren't exactly like Peter and Jack, but we kind of saw the world in those ways. Yeah. I kind of wanted to stay independent, and I was obsessive and uh, distrusting. And Seth is just a little more like 
um he's not he's not peter when he's depressed he's maybe peter in like normal life <laughs> right, right, right. but uh it, just seeing that or like thinking of three brothers like that i know i'm like oh my gosh this is totally their relationship between the oldest the middle and the youngest yeah so yeah i think that i i think that they resemble those three very well like and yeah so they all react different ways they all put the things on their heads different ways they they get a different interpretation of the feathers they all have very different ways of looking at the world right but you kind of see where they all came from yeah and you know in that first uh that first temple scene where uh um i think it's peter asks do you think it's working do you feel something Mm -hmm. uh and uh and jack says i hope so and francis says it's got to Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just those those three reactions are you know, they're all true to themselves as the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a movie like this we can't not talk about religion. I find Angelica Houston's character very interesting uh in in being a, a Catholic nun in India. Yeah. Which is yeah. very common. Um I don't know necessarily it reminded me a little bit about a movie we watched many years ago, Black Narcissus. Um, which is doing very different things to the Western relationship to to India than than Wes Anderson for good. Wes, Wes, Wes Anderson is doing better. Doing better. Yeah. Uh, basically, Black Narcissus is uh, our our takeaway from watching it and very reductive. Uh, but but essentially, Black Narcissus' argument is one against colonialism, but against colonialism because India is too other that ah, that yeah. the british the, the catholic british particularly within the film but the british cannot cannot comprehend india in a way that they can coexist within india uh and that was the anti-colonialist argument which is a very bad way to make an anti-colonialist argument it's not but. entirely off the mark but there are a lot of right. other well things yeah that, i mean it yeah, derives it's sort of it's, about a, it's attacking right, a, right. a fairly reasonable point from the wrong direction essentially it, it's it is very <laughs> right, right, right 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 yeah yeah um where you know that's that's not what happens here uh um at all but it's also Catholicism as aesthetic. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing to place us in time in the film, like what time of year, except for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, she says, "I told you to come back in spring." Two. She's got the ash, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which uh, within within Christian tradition, to my knowledge, only happens one day a year. Right. So uh, I was thinking this was the first time I thought about this. Yeah. This last watch. I've seen this movie so many times because the Telek is such a cultural thing mm-hmm. as well. I just assumed always that they were just wearing a Telek. No. Now because that's what you do when you get in the country and they all have it and that's the right. thing. Except hers is ashen, she's Catholic. And they're right. Catholic and right. all of them have yeah. have yeah. that mark. Yeah. I, I still yeah. I, I don't know where I stand on it. It's very interesting. One, like, it's a balance to the Telec. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that they have the Telec from everyone Enough else. Enough to the, fool me. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, one of the traditional ways of approaching the Telec is a representation of the third eye. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, whereas the ash, uh, and, and very particular to what we're dealing with here thematically, 
is a sign of repentance and it's mm -hmm. a reminder of death, right? Uh, so it works, mm -hmm. uh, but it could just be the aesthetic of the ballots, right? Of, yeah. of right. Wes Anderson. Oh, wait, Christians do that forehead thing too. Uh, we'll do, we'll just have her do that. And that is Wes Anderson's but, logic. He right. do, when he wants to look in, he does. When he doesn't, <laughs> right, he, he right. doesn't. Uh, why is why is it a beagle in uh, the movie? Well, Snoopy was a beagle. Right. That right, doesn't right, answer right. the question, <laughs> but it shows the whim he went on right. to. And so I'm so excited that you brought this up because last night was seriously the first time I even noticed or thought yeah. about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe because it was just Ash Wednesday and I've never watched it. Right, you know, right. We are close. watching this. Made, never in... made the connection before yeah. now. Yeah. Maybe it is. At, maybe that is the day then. I mean, it, yeah. it could be. Because come back in the hasn't... spring would meet a month or two right, after. Right. Yeah. That, and, you know... you know, Ash Wednesday can happen in very much spring. It happens. Also, a reason I think about it in watching it this time is that Ash Wednesday was pretty early as far as Ash Wednesdays go this year. That's mm -hmm. true. We're, yeah. We were dealing with it in mid-February right. instead of uh, mid-March. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and to, to be able to say, I told you to come back in spring and have it being meaningful, it would also have to be a very early Ash Wednesday for, <laughs> yeah. for that to be true. Uh, otherwise, we're basically already in spring, right? Right. Uh, right, but, but bear in mind me. that, like, you know, when you're dealing with other places – seasons don't exactly line up the way you would want them right, to. Right, right, like, right, Yes. Early February That's very true. That's is, very true you know, too. like, spring, if one takes spring as a, to mean, like, a, a time of sort of, like, rebirth and stuff, well, February, if it's a Ash Wednesday in February, that would not be necessarily a time of, like, blooming flowers right, and stuff right. like that, so. Um, but... Yeah post like monsoon season could be their spring because that is a specific season you know like obviously it, it, i mean that's why you can't colonize india it's just too weird right it's too, I mean, the, it's too unknowable it's we don't even unknowable. understand their seasons we don't well and it. like you know uh, the thing about it is right is that like you know to, to sort of loop back around the thing we got to keep in mind is, is that like she the mother there is is engaged in a similar process it seems that like as the as the boys are too right like some sort of spiritual yes, yes. process and and her pro spiritual process involves an act of colonialism i think she's just you know yeah we're gonna go like missionary right. work being that her, way right and a fake one at that i mean they even call it out they're like sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me she she's like i wish i wanted to have it memorized uh in god bless you and keep you in the mother's the grace mother's... of me it like it lasts so long and yeah. it's so shoehorned in but benevolent grace the, the <laughs> fact that obviously these characters didn't grow up religious right their mom has been gone for a year and she's a nun at they a catholic church in, in india right, 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 yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah just uh, <laughs> just the fact that she's in these mountains and it, it's and she's somehow right. like, like apparently the so... head nun, or maybe the only. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. She just but showed up one day, and but it's it, ate, it ate one of the sisters' just brothers. Start, started her own, um, but it's like she she did the same thing that Francis wanted to do. She ran away to to India to mm -hmm. discover herself, but then just fell in with the framework of religion she had from her childhood or whatnot. Yeah, when, yeah. And we can extra extrapolating a lot there, obviously. Whereas. Uh, these guys, raised fairly secularly, as far as we can tell, don't have a framework to fall back on. Uh, like so they don't, they don't end up in the same place that their mom did mm -hmm. uh, until, you know, actively looking for her. Right. But 
but yeah, and then you know, she also just disappears the next morning again, right? Oh, no. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, and shows a lot about why they are the way they are in all of their different ways. You know. Oh sure, like the the absent mother is you know right. it's very thick in in this movie and and how you know when Francis asks his assistant you know if she if he got a hold of her and like yeah she got the message does she want to see us and then he assumes that that was never a question that his assistant was going to ask right right? he's your she's your mother right you know and and that's the entire kind of thing that just kind of floats along as the movie goes is that they're in india to see their mother two of them don't even know until midway through the movie that that's why they're there and then yeah like she doesn't even want them she doesn't want to see them she spends you know two minutes with them being a weirdo faking an emotional connection with them yeah right and then disappears again like she probably always did after choosing their breakfasts and yeah i mean it's just it's very yeah she i mean they question something very real. They're like, where were you? Why weren't you at dad's funeral? What's going on? And she looks behind her and says, you must be talking to her. You must right. be, you know, like, Who and you and you see Jack's face and he's like, what? Like, why are you acting? Like, this is so unreasonable for her to be like this. But yet Jack is also the one who would have slipped away with nobody watching. You know, I, it's, right. it's actually, you could probably say that Peter is the only one that takes after the dad. Because we don't see anything, any connection between his way of being and the mom. Whereas the other two, I feel like, like, take Jack very and much. Frank, right. Francis, yeah. for sure. The oldest and youngest, yeah. which makes sense, you know. But Luftwaffe Automotive, it, again, Luftwaffe Automotive, <laughs> Voltaire number six, yeah, they're Chevalier. Just things, right? I love how he does that. I, like, uh, Luftwaffe Automotive so caught simple. me a little off guard, though, because like I'm like, okay, so we're dealing with a Nazi here. We're definitely dealing with a Nazi. Uh, uh, and he's in the the Nazi is fixing the Porsche. We're gonna find out how he's a Nazi, <laughs> but we're not gonna find out how he's a Nazi because it just won't come up. But uh, do you think that's what uh, Peter whispers to him? Then? It's possible. It's, it's possible. I mean, I'm just saying. Maybe he whispers, "I loved, I loved Coco, a talking gorilla." Uh, the mechanic is played by Barbet Schroeder, the director of the Coco documentary <gasps> of uh, really yeah Amazing. Uh, we've seen a few films of his in the Criterion collection Idi Amin uh, which was great uh, a portrait of the yes of the I we, very um, yeah. and and the one I think we've only seen one non-documentary from Schroeder and it was Matrice uh, oh god yeah okay Gerard, Gerard Depardieu uh, uh, explores BDSM is, is oh my god <laughs> basically what Matrice is. Uh, that is, that is, I actually I've heard of that movie, but I've do, never seen it. Do you want to borrow it? Are you, are you uh, trying to, are you trying to spell Buddhism? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Buddhism? Buddhism. Okay. Um, no, I had to, uh, it was not available by any of my normal means of, so you had to of getting, it. yeah, so I had to purchase it. It wasn't streaming, it wasn't at the library. And you'll never be able to get rid of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's still, I haven't, I, I probably could sell it, but I haven't yet. I've also not rewatched it, so like uh, somebody will just yeah. have to deal so, with it. In like so yeah, in X number of years when when you die, they'll just have to be like dig through and be like, okay, well, yeah. there's this. What are we gonna but do the, with this? 
Yeah. <laughs> what do we do with this? And they can't get rid of it either. Yeah. But the uh, the mechanic is played by Schroeder, and he's interestingly, you know, obviously the brothers are dealing with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the mechanic has an open emotional reaction yes. to their Very dad much. dying. Right? Yeah. This is an old friend of his, and this is how he finds out that he's passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to Pat's point, they are callous assholes right. to him. Right. Oh yeah. At first, again, yeah, these sure. are, yeah. these are these are people who are in a very different world. Uh, than but him he just and... just lets them go. Yeah. You know, right. like he just kind of lets them have that emotional experience. After right. he's like, stands, "Oh my God, you're his sons." Yeah, stands around and watches, and then yeah, gets a hug and a kiss at the, yeah. <laughs> the end after they right. cause chaos in his I'm, shop I'm, for five minutes. <laughs> and that's one of uh, you know, uh, much like the Coen Brothers, the essence of any Wes Anderson movie is comedy, and so there is plenty of comedy in even this one of his most serious movies. And them all, but it, it strengthens the movie. I think the comedy in this does of the brothers and the relationship when they decide. Peter's being unreasonable. Jack goes along with it, and Francis decides at the last minute, even though he's holding a secret and all this stuff. Oh, I might as well help him. Oh, you make sure you put it into first gear. You know, like right, he right, still right. becomes the overarching character and helps, or overarching mother figure, or whatever, right. and helps. And then only when the guy is like gets out of his car and they all make a unified front. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "Are you kidding me?" Right. They're like, "Get out of here!" Yeah. They, which is hilarious. But then they all just kind of laugh and are like, "Peter's like, oh, it's not gonna work." Right. This isn't going to happen. Yeah. It snaps and them out of it. It, it drown- does. Yeah, yeah, it grounds them for a second. Yeah. So um, speaking of... Casey, I know, has one... Oh, oh go ahead. Sorry. No, Casey, I know, has one important thing to bring up about Jason Schwartzman's character. Yes. Yeah, so I, I love that he's barefoot for the entire film. The only scene that he has shoes on is in the, uh, the garage flashback. Yeah, the flashback there. And it was a. I tried to find reason for it. Uh, read through quite a few things, and the only thing that have ever been said was that because he was barefoot in the short film, that he should be barefoot in the in the whole. Wes Anderson just thought because he couldn't see his character any other way. And Jason Schwartzman said that they got to India and they just never got him shoes. He just. <laughs> but it just. I just love it. All the places they are. <coughs> the you know like the street shopping and the holy places and he never he when they run to catch the train every time in gravel or hot sand hot conch he he does not have shoes on and i love it and jonathan mentioned he had never noticed i've never noticed he's barefoot and yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and and like you know we even have other characters dealing with shoes. Yeah. Right? Well, I, yeah. I think There's that's maybe of, like the yeah. thing though, right? Is that maybe that's almost, that's sort of like a magician's sleight of hand because Owen Wilson is wearing apparently the most expensive and ugliest shoes ever bought by a human <laughs> yes. being. Ever made. Yeah. It's and then like, half a pair of those shoes yes. for the remainder. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And never bothers to, to change into a matching pair of right. shoes for the rest of the film. No, either. he only wears yeah. one of each. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe, uh, Maybe it's a reference to uh, to Paul. Uh, I thought that's what I thought because they're in suits. Yeah, and so Paul yeah. Paul McCartney, and, yeah. you know, doing that um, whole thing. But 
I but, figured that would be the first thing mentioned right. when Casey was looking yeah, it if, up. Yeah, like, if it was actually like a thing. thing. It, yeah. Even if it was just a visual reference to, to Paul McCartney. <laughs> Wes Anderson would say that in a heartbeat. <laughs> right, right. He would be like, oh, well, yeah. Paul was barefoot. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so we, I mean, maybe okay. maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe Jason Schwartzman's character is dead. Maybe Jack is dead. I okay. mean, maybe they're all dead. <laughs> and that's what maybe we're supposed to learn dead. from that. Uh, uh, it's a film. It's possible. Maybe the whole movie is just purgatory. Yeah, I mean, and, maybe. Uh, no, let's not explain. Uh, no, let's so the, you, you guys were talking about uh, comedy, and I, I want to describe what I think is m- maybe my favorite comedic element because it so it works so effectively in this film is when they're and I believe if if I'm remembering remembering it correctly, I might be remembering it wrong, but like uh, when they're like walking along with their suitcase next to the to the train tracks, right? I think it's right before they see the kids trying to cross the river, right? Is okay. when the printer falls off of uh off of Owen Wilson's <laughs> baggage. The printer he's just carrying a, like something about like I know you notice it before, right, when they're at the train station and the printer's just sitting on top of their yeah. luggage. It's like why? Like why it, it, it it's yeah. the it's it's I find it one of the most surreal comedic elements of the film is the fact that he just brings the printer with him after his assistant quits. It's just like this guy who's like something about that idea is just hilarious to me. And then when it falls, he has off, to do like, his own work now and he, he has, has no idea yeah, how he, right. has well, he, do, he has to do work that he <laughs> doesn't have there. to do. Right. Like he, it, it, this idea that he's right. carrying around right. a printer to do a job. Nobody asked him to do and Nobody wants him to do. Right. And he's just carrying around <laughs> that and it falls seems off like a lot of the film. Yeah. And then right. he like, right, exactly. And then when it falls off and, he, and his just reaction to it, like, like, Oh, well now I've got to deal with this as though he's at an office job and the printer broke at work. And it's like, right. but it's right. Yeah, he's like, oh, come on now, yeah, exactly. right? Like, it's like when I go to print something at work and it won't fucking paper jams. And you're like, oh, you gotta be kidding me! I don't have time for this. So, like, my man, you're walking next to a train track with a bunch of luggage in the middle of nowhere. You got all the time in the world to deal with this. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> um, also, when they're kicked off the train, uh-huh. uh, I think it's the only time the train leaves the right side of the frame is right oh. after they're kicked off. That the, oh. that the rest of the time, when they're on the train, it's always moving right to left. When they're kicked off, it moves to the right. And then uh, even in the like final sequence of panning to the different compartments yeah. and we see all the characters, the train is moving to the yeah. left as, as our camera view huh. moves to the right. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any extra meaning in that. Uh, I would say it's because trains move in one direction. The train direction. is no longer... Uh, Trains do usually move in one direction. That's true, but but it is in that moment. It is the train is no longer going the place they want to go. Yeah, right? you know? yeah. yeah, right. That makes. I mean, that's that's just a, a directorial like a- editing choice just to right. differentiate for story's sake, but visual story right. blocking. Right. You know, and I understand um, that Wes Anderson yeah. is the sort of director who, under normal circumstances, would like take very careful care of this, but like, yeah. Also, that's a. But, I, if they're working in mainly a real town, that's a. There's a real train station there. Yeah. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, there may be a. You know, of course, you can maybe get. I guess get the train to run, but it may not have been. I wonder if it's a thing you thought about well, really they were, deeply or not. You know what I mean? I assume yes. I think. I think. I think in that moment, yes, because so much of, so much of the travel period is toward the left of the frame. Hmm. Uh, the river. Mm-hmm. Flows toward the left of the flame, mm-hmm. uh, so I think I think there is a purposeful, just for consistency of the aesthetic, okay. more than anything, more than necessarily any meaning in it, 
I think, for the consistency right. of the aesthetic. Vis- visual storytelling, yeah. which, again, doesn't have to have a meaning. It just needs to ha- aid visually right. and make make the points you are making clearer. Yeah. Staging. No. You know. All of that is designed mm. to make people not think about it. Which right. is why when I noticed it. <laughs> right. It is. It's right. designed to make you not think about it, which yeah. is why the best stuff you don't notice. Yeah. Ro- Roger Deakins just being like, yeah, if you don't talk about him. And there's a reason why nobody talked about him for so long. Because if you don't talk about him, that means he's doing his job better. Right, right, right. Yeah. right, right. But so comedic elements of the film. Um, he, of course, uses 90 degree and one angle panning a lot for yeah. effect. And in this movie, he uses a lot of zooms because he's catching not the dollhouse look, but that chaotic and genuine look and using that kind of Bollywood look of the zoom in as well. Mm -hmm. But one of my favorite comedic parts isn't isn't as comedic as it is joyous, but it's both. And it's when they're waiting on the bus after the funeral and you see the student or the student, the one child flagging it down. You see them and a couple people approach it pans you see the doctor they've never shown the road on the way back yeah and every time it pans there's like 40 more people in frame like it just switches around and the entire frame is full out of nowhere like the margaret yang thing where she flies in from the plane but this they just show you oh that's a trick because they finally go back to where the road is coming from and you see a couple people walk up right everybody was walking the whole time the camera yeah. just never you showed just don't it see right, them. right. Yeah. always behind the frame but it makes it magical it makes it unexpected it makes it as unexpected as they would feel these people traveling from their village just to see them off yeah. to be you know um is but there it's, a, it's funny <laughs> is there another wes anderson movie that starts as frenetically as this one starts um just usually yeah, going right for it, it um with the like bill murray driving scene yeah. no um, i don't think there is no also there's no other wes anderson movie that no rushmore doesn't and no. bottle rock doesn't um where because rushmore does start a little uh much but they have a whole scene or right. two before that but there's no narration in this movie and there's nobody breaking the fourth wall to talk to yeah about to the camera about whatever's going on now we still have an extra narrative uh framing character in bill murray because we see him at the start and the and the end yeah but that's more because because yeah. this is one of the facts that casey told me about the movie originally just why bill murray's even there <laughs> so he was offered to be in the movie but he d- wasn't able to yeah he was, um, bu- he was busy and so they said, hey, how about we just fly you out to India and, you know, hang out for a couple days and we'll shoot one scene instead of you being a main character. And he said, okay, so they added him to the beginning. And the, that makes that, sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had forgotten that. There's a little, I mean, it's perhaps misdirection uh, in that we have him in the cab and that's my train. It's a and beautiful then, misdirection. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's running yes. for the train, and then Adrian Brody runs by. Yeah, I love when they start yeah. to pass him. It's very good. And yeah, it just it is a nice presentation because I think we're expecting Bill Murray to be there. Yeah, you know, like after the last few, like, and so the fact that yeah, he's not even in it is nice. Right. Yeah, he doesn't do misdirections or red herrings like that. Usually, he lets things be. inexplicable or it's very 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 purposeful um can we segue into something really quick sure uh (laughs) speaking of the frenetic and chaotic uh element of that scene that opening scene is mostly because the music happening at that time this i would say wes anderson's best 
best soundtrack, best yeah. series of songs because he uses his stuff that he would normally use and then some of the best Hindi and Bollywood themes like ever like all of the music of this movie is phenomenal Um, and that just starts starts it off but using the kinks using just the one kinks record too by the way just uh, money go round Um, and using the themes that he does typewriter tip which oh and using a lot of uh, diegetic music for maybe the first not the first time, but he, there's a lot of diegetic music where it's playing from the home pod or it's in the train or it's in the bus um, with typewriter tip, which is just playing in the bus and is a beautiful song. I would highly recommend just listening to this soundtrack. It is right. fantastic. Yeah. Um, a, a good chunk of the Indian music in this film is composed by uh, Satyajit Ray. Who's mm-hmm. a, a director who composed music for right. his own. Um, and there's sort of visual reference to the works of Ray as well. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it is also Wes Anderson wearing his influences on his sleeve as he often does. Right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I, I like soundtracks uh, that, not capture the movie, but are really kind of focused. I like really focused soundtracks. It's why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of my favorite soundtracks ever because not only do they focus it in the era, they focus it literally in the EQ of the soundtrack to make it sound like it's coming through an AM radio mm-hmm. and, in fact, cut it, stitch it together with AM radio mm-hmm. jingles and song and, and yep. things that you wouldn't hear otherwise. And I think that this works in the same sort of way where it's like this music or, or the fact that Quentin Tarantino would just use an entire soundtrack from a spaghetti western just to make... He's like, well, why reinvent the wheel? And I love that from this. It's homage. It's uh, uh, putting together something that he couldn't be able to put together himself and mixing it together with his styles. Right. Yeah. And the homage isn't... You know, I already talked about uh, Black Narcissus a second. The homage isn't just to... Indian film, but also Western films made in India. I'd say, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd say there's uh, some of Renoir's The River in here, too, which is a, another movie. Yeah. Have yeah. A complicated relationship, too, oh, because of okay. its complicated relationship to India. Um, ah. It's, you know. Now, would you say this is still more sensitive than those I think, movies? I think, yes. Yeah, I'm I mean, surprised yes. how sensitive it is yeah. and holds up to be this many years and later. And the. The river is is one that is certainly more sensitive than Black Narcissus, um, but you know the, ra- the, river, the river definitely more... has issues. I, I, I it's hard to remember it <laughs> yeah. exactly. But... There is there are issues with the river, but the river is much more of a uh, an ode to uh, to uh, Indian society and uh, Diwali, particularly in the end, um, and it's most of our problems that in that way are the mid-century relationship to Asia as a whole mm-hmm. from from Western directors who uh, believe themselves to be uh, enlightened by engaging with with the East. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where it just doesn't hold up well, in, I mean, in a good way. Right, they have the problem um, of like trying to tell, in this, in the case of uh, the river, like trying to tell Indian stories for Indian people instead of it's the classic sort of problem right if memory yeah. serves now I I believe I believe Ray 
uh, worked on the river as well, actually. Well, I, you oh, remember, okay. I think okay. we had a conversation about that during the river, about yeah. like, but it, we, yeah. we were kind of, it, I don't know, the way it was described in the... The river does a lot better than Black Absolutely, Jesus, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it had issues, uh, though. Yeah. Most of, a lot of, a lot of the issues for films like that boiled down to Pat's background as, uh, with anthropology. Yeah. And, and approaching it as... Uh, this is really even you know the river's not meant to be a documentary, but it's still ethnography in a way that just mid-century ethnography, right? And and and, and specifically <laughs> directors saying the word it. "I'm doing ethnography" and me making wanting to just reach <laughs> right, to the screen right, and right. strangle them to death. Whereas something <laughs> yeah. like this is is a is a is a Western director making a story about Western people causing trouble for the most part causing trouble in another country yeah which is much right. more relatable yes. and like yeah. it's not requiring him to yeah. to say things about a place that he's sort of out of place in saying you know what i mean he's talking about them right. and how and and the, and the and trouble they're causing not the, not the other way around or something like that exactly. and letting and letting india be india right, right. yeah <laughs> it's letting india be india and it is very much about these guys trying to consume India in the way that mm -hmm. has traditionally been consumed by Western men particularly. Um, so, yeah, it's... Again, it's... Wes Anderson is perhaps his most self-aware. <laughs> yeah, and then when it goes into something that is a sacred Hindi ritual of dying, right? and you get it in the stillness that it is, again, I just... I, I tend to be somebody that is very strict on what I... I say that I don't look at things politically, but I also am very strict on what I allow myself to watch or enjoy. Right. And so it is not surprising that it's aged so well because I would have felt very off if it wasn't. But at the same time, I still think of 2007 as a time where we weren't able to really... Uh, uh, myself or comedy or entertainment weren't able to um, discern what things you just shouldn't do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this movie may have, I don't think it made an effect in a, in a good or bad way, but I think it proves to be a, a good way to make a point as a white Western filmmaker for a Western audience that uses India, not as a backdrop that it exploits, but as a, meaningful setting for this to take place he just drops them right into the middle of it like yeah. you know like we're just dropped right in the middle of india and and i yeah i was saying how even even with their ridiculousness of not understanding the places and experiences that that they're trying to be a part of is that it it's never disrespectful right you know like they're especially in the the holy places you know they don't they're not causing a scene there they right. are really trying to this isn't get and something one out time of it, it and one, the one time it starts happening and you do see people in the background and they're right up at the altar that's when peter's like i'm gonna go pray at another thing yeah. just, he's like i can't deal with right. this right now like yeah <laughs> but yeah it is you know it's just it's more about it's it's yeah it's more about them you know being being ridiculous just in this beautiful place yeah yeah they don't see people worshiping and say look at these assholes in fact right. the only reason why he says it is because they are downtrodden it's three and three yeah. and he just dropped his printer and <laughs> you know like they're just at a point and because we're about to see a major turn right and i think right. that's what makes in that one of the more effective com comedic is it says right. it 
he's setting you up very well for it to like suddenly the tone to change dramatically and uh it works it really is, well there yeah yeah it is you know, particularly after the funeral but in that in that moment of the boys going into the water uh it is the first time these three brothers well one they see themselves in those three brothers mm-hmm. but it's the first time they've related to anyone in India as a human being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, particularly now they're in a situation where no one around them speaks English. They're in the middle of nowhere. So they're not relating, uh, you know, they can't communicate verbally, but they are communicating emotionally. Right. Finally. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's also deprived right. them the ability to interact with it in a sort of commodified way. Right. Like up until now, they've, they're, right. they're dealing with everything in a, in a very sort of packaged way. That's like, even though it sort of keeps falling apart for them, they're they're riding trains with tickets. They're they're dealing with everybody in a very um, in a very sort of monetary relationship way. And then now they're in a place where like yeah. there's there's none of that to like sort of hide behind, right? Like they just have to like yeah. deal right. With well, people they have a people. true emotional experience that wasn't on the itinerary, right? Right. 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 Like right. They, you know, they actually do get something from that because it is something that's real. And I do love that it's also one of the you know one of the first times that we see them emotionally react to each other. You know, like Jack's uh, exclamation when when Peter flips over. Right. Like, it's just, yeah. He's they, all bloody. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just, he's just shouting that to, to relay it over to Francis. You know, he's just like, he's all bloody. And he's not talking about the boy. He's, He's talking about his brother who right, just right. fell down at the same thing that well, this kid who yeah, died. Yeah, and the screaming of Peter, like his... You know. Yeah. 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 That. Yeah. Yeah. That that consumption is in everything they do. Like even Jack. Jack about the stewardess. His first line about the stewardess. I want that stewardess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And the only thing that makes his whole thing with the stewardess work in the movie is a she can obviously take care of herself. (laughs) Right. 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 (laughs) And she's using him. Yes. Yes. So so even when he's like, uh, I I I want I want to kiss you, or would you kiss me or whatever? She's like, no. He's like, yeah, but we already. And you even see like his yeah. arm kind of move in <laughs> yeah. the in the really vulgar yeah. fashion, but underneath the camera frame, which it happened and as then, well. And and she's like, yeah, but I have a boyfriend. Yeah. But we broke up. Well, I'm, I'm about, about to break up with him. She is totally in in control of that situation. Yeah, she's which, in control of then, that situation. And then when they're parting, and he says somewhat sardonically well thanks for you letting me use you mm-hmm. and and she thinks about it for a second and just says you're welcome <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think he says thanks for using me or yeah. thanks for using yeah. thanks for using yeah. me yeah yeah, yeah yeah right yeah yeah because um, yeah. he that's all he wanted he just right. wanted to fling with some girl too right. and she just wanted that as well and as aid to both of them because they were experiencing some kind of uh relationship right trouble right. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good movie. I think so. Um, one one thing I did want to touch on, I swear I won't take up too much real estate on this. Okay, is when we're talking about the the you know their relationship um, to the culture and you know representing it well. I I can honestly say that is a very in these movies that don't do that well. I can honestly say that's a very difficult road to travel when you are uh, 
uh, let's say born again into that culture um you know when when somebody first gets into something they are very 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 exuberant and they want to express as much as possible mm -hmm. so when i first um kind of i don't want to say converted to but really studied and decided to make my um, religious experience, one that had a, a, a Hindu uh, base, you know, with the Bhagavad Gita and the, the alternative history of the, of the Hindus um, from the lower castes and, and learning about all that and becoming engrossed in it and loving it. And I wanted to share that. And I talked about it all the time. I gave copies of the Bhagavad Gita to people. That's, that's fine. But then I also would wear a telek. And I remember once, um, and I also talked to people that were from India, like it was like, oh, that must be so exciting because I right. love all this. You know, right, I right. didn't do that, but but looking back, that's you know where it was, and you know it was a misplaced exuberance in those things because I was naive too because it was new to me. You know, and I remember saying to somebody, oh yeah, I used to wear a telek, and then you know you get a lot of weird looks when you're a white guy, and I right. remember somebody saying, yeah, you get a lot of weird looks when you're Indian as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's when I was like, oh. Okay, yeah, no need, this is not, I can have a personal religious experience and still show it in a way, but not be disrespectful and, right, right. and I can back off of these things. And so, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of movies that are like, oh, I want to use India to show this spiritual experience because it is a real thing. There is a lot to say from a spiritual aspect of East meets West. I think East meets West is, is uh, a, a holistic look at religion. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, using it in a way that is disrespectful to the thousands and thousands of years right. <laughs> of people that have come before this good or bad yeah. is, is also in denying people that it's like wearing dreads or any of those things, it, doing this and being like, Oh yeah, like I do this and people being like, yeah, I'm not allowed to, or I will, my people were not allowed to do this for many right. years in your country right. or, or in right. my own country that I right. also live in, you know, like that's, that can be difficult to navigate as well. Yeah. We've had, it'll continue next week as we watch uh night of the hunter. Uh, but, uh, for the last few weeks, uh, Pat's Pat's really hated it. We've had plenty of opportunity to talk about religion in, yeah, I <laughs> in mean, the movies we I, watched. I um, don't, I don't hate talking about yeah. religion. <laughs> I was joking. Yeah, I know you do. It's fine. I like to hear <laughs> Pat's take on it. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I mean, for I, real. Um, but I don't look at things much in the way that Jonathan was talking about politics. I tend not to read religious symbology in things I watch. Yeah, it's just not a thing I do. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I was reminded a little bit of uh, the Thin Red Line in watching this. Uh, it's the Thin Red Line has a similar, you know, a lot of the characters in the Thin Red Line, or at least a few key characters in the Thin Red Line, which is a war movie. Um, they're in the Pacific. They're in Melanesia, particularly, and they're exhibiting this sort of embrace of an eastern philosophy in a very surface way yeah mm -hmm. uh and it's interesting in that movie that one of the key pieces of the soundtrack is melanesian chanting but the the chant singing they're doing is an anglican community singing i mean even just listening to them they're very obviously church songs right there <laughs> yeah 
they're saying Jesus. It's not, you know, mm. they're not even even the movie metatextually is not engaging with the local religion. It's engaging with local people practicing religion, yes, mm-hmm. but practicing Christianity and a particular British colonial version of mm-hmm. Christianity uh, as if that is a representation of the religion of these people. <laughs> uh, it would it would be like looking into this movie and just seeing where yeah, uh, the, seeing the, the Catholicism, Catholicism in, yeah. which I love. That was something, I mean, I know that sounds so stupid, but 2007 was a million years ago, really, for yeah. me as, as a person. And I feel like hearing the timbre and tone and instrumentation of uh, of uh, traditional Indian music with having um, them sing, love him, love him, yeah. love him in the morning, love him in the noontime, and hearing it with the the, the affectation and all, all those things, yeah. I'm just like, oh, like hearing one thing through the frame of another yeah. like when we talk about ska or anything you yeah. know when, when you put something that exists in one place through right into the framework or limitations or or uh, other options of another place um you you get something pretty interesting and it i it makes me feel weird in the movie in darjeeling because it feels forced yeah you know, and that's kind of well. Historically, it was. That's so, what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. it feels that way, and, right. it, yeah. and I think it, it resembles it really well. So it, it's always interesting to see things meld together as they should, or things be forced through another lens. You can yeah. tell when those, right? When the what which is which most right. of the time. Yeah. yeah, you know the funeral sequence. It is melding in mm-hmm. in a proper way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas they're their consumption of religion and their mother's consumption of religion. And, you know, she does seem to be in charge of that, uh, that, uh, convent. <laughs> convent. Yeah. yeah. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. I was trying not to say monastery cause that's not the right word. Convent is the right word. Yeah. Um, so conistery, Conis- commissary, <laughs> commissary. Yes. Uh, she does serve them breakfast. So, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, so you know, theoretically, she is in charge of of that programming as well, right? Um, but yeah, just the, the I know we we already talked about, it, but just the the uh, sort of blase way she tries to just the hands off spiritualism that oh, she yeah. takes to to even helping her own children yeah. get through this. Oh yeah, it's like so... maybe it's maybe it's best if we don't use words. It's just like then they just look yeah. at each other, yeah. yeah. Which affords Wes uh, Wes Anderson to make a train car sequence of the scenes, which is right. cool, right? But it also goes to show she isn't really any help at all. Yeah. Um, okay, so lot lots more sex in this movie than the others, right? Right. Um, I mean, not lots more, but more, se- more sexually. Than Wes Anderson is known <laughs> from, for from at this point an infinite amount point. more yeah. in that there had been zero, right? Previous. It's zero well, other than one. like some uh, one being a hundred times zero, right. than yeah. zero, yeah. but yeah. Obviously, yes. <laughs> obviously, there were sexual references prior. Yeah, yeah and nudity sure, yeah. randomly for no yeah. reason because he does that. Uh, so that number one, uh, number two, uh, death. You know, actual death, post suicide attempt, violence, all these things. And then what's the third one that he never super goes into? And this one he does drugs. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> lots yes. of drugs. We discussed that. <laughs> yeah, I love when they when they all three get to the 
to their cabin and the train for the first time and they do the circle share of, oh, yeah. the, of the drugs that they've all the brought car, with yeah. them. Oh. Yeah, like I, they just keep passing passing it around as people stare. A whole bunch of mood stabilizing stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. And then immediately, it's, it's not until after they take the drugs that they start nitpicking into one another. Uh, which I think is a really great moment too. Yes. Just comedically. Well, but, I mean, there's yeah. a there's a couple of characters. Yeah, there's some good stuff around. Like also when when um, the the conduct, I guess the train steward, right? He comes along and he's getting ready to kick him out. And he's like, "Why do you have these drugs? Like, do you have a prescription for this? Is <laughs> is a great like because they're just I, pretending that there's no such yeah, thing as prescription for the rest of the entire thing. It's like very right, funny. Right. Yeah, I mean they're constantly going against the rules. They don't care. They're out. They're confined yeah. to their cabin, and they leave half the time. Right, like right. it's, uh, they really don't give a shit. I just like that delivery because of this he movie. they so matter of factly at the beginning state there are no like oh there's no prescriptions. You know what I mean? Like I think it's Peter's character. But right, one of them was just like oh, oh they don't have prescriptions here. It's fine. You know, like kind of offhandedly makes that remark, and then lately you know fully like an hour later. And I guess like forty five minutes later, it's like, right. do you have a prescription for that? What are you doing? Like, is a uh, is the risk right? It, it makes me think of the first or second episode of Venture Brothers when he's just like, oh come on, you can give me that. Like this, uh, he's like, I know I'm a Tijuana doctor, but I'm a practicing doctor. It doesn't mean that I can just <laughs> right. give you like whatever exactly. you want. Yeah, <laughs> like just people's understanding. Oh well, I'm in a different country, so there aren't right, laws. Right. Like, and, and, and just, well, it's just like you have enough money, there like, aren't. So, you know, it's just well, but they still have consequences. Right. They have numerous consequences right, from right, their actions. Right. They do. Which is great. And the guy who plays the steward is amazing because he's, he's a great actor. One of Wes Anderson's yeah. closest. He's lovely. Yeah. One yeah. of his closest friends. And they, you know, he's in, yeah. And he's in uh, um, Life Aquatic. And I like much like Aziz Ansari and, you know, a lot of other, um, you know, Southeast Asian actors that are just like, well, I know I my parents are from here and I, you know, am, you know, this ethnicity, but I'm not going to do an accent. Right. This is how I talk. Why would I, why would I do that? You know? And so every movie, he just very straightforward. He sounds like he's from the Midwest, most likely, you know, like just very, <laughs> but he of course wears a headpiece he and has the beard flip and, and speak a different, you know, a different language. Right. Language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was thinking how lovely, yeah, his voice is because he just flips between both languages with like almost right, no right. accent at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas typically British accent is what you would have. Right, right, well, right. Well, he grew in, up yeah, in I mean, uh, pretty much anywhere else. Stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he grew up yeah. in uh, was it? Um, shoot, where is it? Brooklyn. Well, according, <laughs> well, I was going to say, according to uh, Life Aquatic, I mean, born on the Ganges. Yeah, yeah, he he moved there when he was right. five. It's just he's a he's a I I really like him as an actor, and yeah, he does yeah. some yeah. some yeah, primo probably. code switching in there, which is always great. I always really <laughs> right, right, right. I like watching code switching in movies. It doesn't get done a lot in movies, like well, uh, as you guys pointed yeah. out. Like a lot of times when people code switch, they want to like code somebody very clearly as one thing or the other, and sort of you know like kind of working in one but not you know what i mean where it's like oh very like having them very heavily lean in one direction or the other uh for yep. like the effect of it for the audience whereas this is more like legit code so when you grow up speaking two languages you speak both languages natively you know what i mean like in the just, dialect you learn yeah and you're just a native speaker exactly. of both right. those. you don't walk around with a super right. heavy accent in either of them really um and right, if especially if you're born in one place or, or 
divided you know evenly and that's that's one of those things like uh um again as Isnazari brings up in an entire episode of, of master and none you know it where in the most effective use of this point is when it shows the dude being the the cab driver doing the audition having the very heavy typical indian accent and then as soon as he's done he's like all right man so like uh i'll just give me a call back and like whatever and and aziz and Zara's character is just like i don't do that he's like well how do you get roles <laughs> like he's yeah. like yeah i will never do that's just not what i do like and i appreciate that you know a lot that he's still then put in on the train in india it's you know, there's no reason not to still use him in the movie just because he has a very <laughs> down the middle American quote unquote accent. It's just a yeah, it's just a delightful movie. I liked it there unequivocally. <laughs> Adam liked it. it. I think Casey and I like it. <laughs> Pat, Perhaps. let's put you on. The spot. Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot. As I as stated previously, this is the Wes Anderson movie I I dislike mind at least least and and probably verge on liking so that's where i was then you might that's pretty good yeah you might be like adam where each movie you like more because again just just as i was saying that he perfects that the dollhouse thing to a point where it doesn't feel awkward it feels hyper purposeful um uh fantastic mr fox is the springboard for that him being able to literally control everything because he's animating or he's not animating it he has other people animating it um uh, so he's both gained and lost something since then. Darjeeling is the perfect example of something he's lost since then. Um, yeah. Yeah, doing a stop motion film changed him, ch- changed his style from, from then on. Everything has been more cartoonic, uh, you know, especially because I know the first time I watched Grand Budapest Hotel, I didn't know how i felt about it yeah you know because i was just like oh god and then you know have since grown to absolutely love it like most things i you know came to terms with the way he changed but yeah it's just it you know it is more of a full cartoon yeah and it worried it worried me because i did not like moonrise kingdom but then by the time Grand Budapest came out, I loved that one, you know. So, but this one, you know, there's not the layered action. There's more realistic things. The dialogue, it's not improvised, but the, the reactions are improvised and it feels more alive. And so I, either you're going to hate everything else he does even well, more so, Pat, yeah, from now I on. Mean, I or it'll make the other stuff make sense. I don't know what the order is because that's not ever something I've ever paid attention to. I've seen Moonrise Kingdom. I like this right. better than Moonrise Kingdom, personally. Okay. Uh, I mean, I do too. Like, I don't. Absolutely. I didn't really. I don't know. Moonrise Kingdom just didn't do like basically anything for me. I haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel. It'll come up. It's in the Criterion Collection, I believe. It'll be there. So, yeah, you know, I'll probably save it. I won't ruin it for myself. <laughs> I <laughs> there you go. I do like that. This is the first of a trilogy of his movies that are all yellow color uh-huh. palette um yeah obviously life aquatic has almost no it has its own color palette whereas right. we our first three movies are pink ish you know um and then uh these movies are yellow this fantastic mr fox and and moonrise kingdom um he kind of just goes back to pink after that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then he goes back to pink <laughs> right, right right yeah well uh fantastic mr fox is spine 700 so we've got three years till we okay. get there oh my gosh what? uh <laughs> then after that moonrise kingdom is 776 for, so another year and a half after that 
Uh, and then Grand Budapest is 1,025. Oh, no. So, so six years after that. Years. No. Uh, I told you. <laughs> think about uh, how different so things will uh, be then. Yeah. I'm just going to make my own podcast so I can talk about Grand Budapest. And right. I'll, so that'll be <laughs> done. Invite us I'll give on you my it. thoughts we'll talk on it. We can it just reference you. it when we get to it. Yeah, and that is that is everything Criterion has released so far. But they, uh, I mean, the French connection, or what is it? It's called the French Connection. No, what's it called? No, French the French Connection is a different. Yeah, I mean, I've French, seen the French Connection. Connection. I mean, the French Connection should also be. In the is I was going to say, is it? We should. Is it not? When we finally watch French Dispatch for the Criterion Collection, the bonus episode that month. Will be will be French will be other movies with the word French <laughs> in them. French or starring French. French Stewart. Yeah, or French Stewart movies. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Stewart, French Stewart. That's the French <laughs> the, connection. Yes. It's actually the Stewart connection, but so Stewart Little's on there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Uh, well, uh, if no one else has anything they want to throw out, I think we can draw this one to a close. No, I, I think we've all landed okay. kind of where we all land. Yeah. yeah. Or always land. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, yeah. This one, though, I do feel like I, I I can see the least amount of complaints about from people who don't like his movies and the most amount of complaints from people who do like his movies. <laughs> yeah. and, I think that's fair. Which I think is dumb. I think that this movie is, is just like each thing he does, it's its own thing as much as it's only his thing. And yeah. um, I think that this one plays to strengths he maybe only uh hinted at prior and i think that that kind of realism and real emotion is something that movies in general you know have and his tend to not other than an overarching one and i think he does a good job of pulling both off and i would have to say it's probably because of roman coppola i would have to assume it's because of roman coppola's involvement um as well as as uh jason schwartzman who i i think is just a great person so yeah Casey, you want to close off with anything? So. I mean, I, I think I also feel like the most people haven't seen this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I guess like as being somebody that discovered Bottle Rocket at the video store and then has since seen every movie like a week or two after it opens in a in a theater setting. Oh, and then I also I had I did have a random fun memory. I did see. Darjeeling Limited with the short film at Alamo Draft House when I lived in Austin, and so they had a full Indian meal. Oh, nice! Like with Very you know with the movie and oh, that's great. Lots of merch. Wes Anderson merch. I mean, how often do you see a table of Wes Anderson <laughs> merch? Um, I did not realize until this moment that Jason Schwartzman is a Coppola. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were discussing yeah. that yeah. last night and too. Well, how down to earth yeah. he seems in in we think is <laughs> while well, being from that particular family. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I suppose also makes him uh, Nicholas Cage's cousin yes. as well. Yeah, yes, which polar opposite. <laughs> we were talking about Darjeeling Limited from 2007, directed by Wes Anderson with Casey and Jonathan Hape. Thank you so much for joining us, friends. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Next week, as I said already, we will be talking about The Night of the Hunter by Charles Lawton from 1955 great little flick can't wait to share that episode with you thank you so much for listening to lost and criterion i am as always the adam glass with me as always john patrick over charlie dorgan and we'll see you next time bye bye
This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.